The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Every day, millions of students, parents, faculty, and administrators from more than 1,600 school districts leverage Schoology to advance what is possible in education. The team at Schoology is passionate about making its users successful, and they know sometimes you might need a little help to achieve your desired outcomes. To help districts find their way to success, Schoology has created Schoology Compass, a set of self-service resources and tools to support school and district leaders in their journey to success. Compass is made up of five district success routes. Each one is designed to advance what is possible at your district. To learn more about Schoology Compass, simply visit Schoology.com. Just another segment of On Education. Lots of questions, no answers. <laughs> Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether old-fashioned toys are better than video games. Should we be concerned about our students' online privacy? Whether gamelets are better than games? And we have three interviews from the TICE conference to share. Did you did you bring the table back with you? I, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now. I'll be honest with you. I'm actually underneath my desk. <laughs> are you? Are you really? I didn't, I didn't even tell you that. <laughs> no. <then. laughs> I decided it's the best, it's the I best you, studio. I think you figured it out. Yes. I have... Uh, a pillow kind of behind the microphone. Yeah, you there's do. A, there's a blanket kind of making a, you know, table cover kind of thing. So I'm basically insulated <laughs> in a little in a little studio <laughs> underneath um, my desk. I have a nice desk that I put together and I'm not even using it. I'm underneath you're, not, it. you're underneath the desk. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need a picture of that. I think I you need to get I'll someone a, to take a, a picture. I'll of do you. a selfie of, or, or just my legs <laughs> sticking out of it. I'll take. I'll, yeah, that'll be the funny one. So I used to put. I used to put the green. I have. An, I have a really nice green screen, and it, it takes up so much room in yeah. my very. My office is. I mean, it's not huge. It's probably about eight by eight by ten. Sure. So it's not a big. It's not a big room. It's an office size room. Um, and I used to put a green screen be, right behind me. Oh, yeah. And I used to leave I used to leave it up all the time, but you couldn't like walk around in the room because the green screen took up tons of space in the room. And I think what I've figured out is that I just needed more stuff in here. So after we renovated the room, yeah. right? I added we added a couch and it has like, you know, things on it like whatever pillows and whatever and um, you know, we put furniture in here and I find that the furniture is actually making the room sound better oh yeah um, there's instead there's of the, less the it's less echoey, empty right yeah the right. walls yep that's what was happening but, here too this is probably right. an eight by ten room i would say and folks were figuring it out yeah i just figured out underneath the desk is the best place under, to record under if the you guys desk. ever want to <laughs> get a nice high quality sound um underneath your desk put blankets all over you and then you've got you've got your own studio. who needs a who needs a studio who needs high quality uh uh, sound phone boards. You just got blankets right. underneath your desk. <laughs> blankets underneath the desk. Unbelievable. That's amazing. Listen, we have um, too much news, almost too many things to talk about. Lots of things. Um, you know, the the first, the title we always use for that first section of our podcast is quick hits, quick stuff. And it, there's nothing quicker there shouldn't be anything quick about this but we got to be quick because we don't want to keep you listening for well we know you won't listen forever so <laughs> um 
Um, but we do want to talk about a couple of things that came up. Um, I guess this first one, old fashioned games being better than, uh, and toys being better than video games, um, or electronic games. They don't, this article is interesting. I I've read, I've had to read it a couple times because, uh, you know, I was angry to start, <laughs> which is my typical, my typical response <laughs> to things. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, I, listen, we've talked about this a few times where we're of the age where we grew up in both of these worlds, you know, or not grew up, but we've lived in both of these worlds. We, I don't know what you played with when you were a kid, but I played with Lego and building blocks and Tonka trucks and, 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 and was outside until, you know, 10 o'clock at night playing, you know, tag and whatever. And, um, you know, and my kids now, you know, especially my oldest, you know, plays on his switch and plays Fortnite, and he plays with his friends. Um, but it's like a totally different world. And I get what this article is saying. Obviously we'll link all of these things in the show notes. I totally get that. And I agree that, and there's some sentences in this that are completely make sense. Things like how play is important for child development and they still learn best, um, uh, you know, about the world from playing and interacting with people on a personal level. I hundred percent agree with that. Yes. If I didn't, if I disagreed with that, my wife would be kicking my ass right now because <laughs> she's, I mean, that's literally how she's made her living. Um, is by talking about play and, you know, believing in kindergarten as a, as a place to be formative in that place. So, yes, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it states some very important factors that kids should be playing with uh, other kids and they should be playing in kind of that same way, what you talked about, kind of an old school kind of way, whether it be inventing your own games out of your, you know, fantasy type games, you know, uh, and, and working together towards whatever or running around in your yards or I used to play, you know, whatever sports outside. But then there's also, I think, definitely a space for uh, digital games and that that's not a bad thing because this thing says, I mean, it's basically saying this, that they're bad for you. And I don't right. know about that. Yes. Well, it, it basically says, and this is actually completely counter to what I actually think of. Clearly, they're playing the wrong games oh, because yeah. it says it talks about them being static and not requiring you to think oh, and have the same level of creativity. Yeah, the game and all of that is all of that is that. garbage. Yes. We know that that's garbage. Yeah, the strategy and teamwork and cooperation, collaboration that it takes to be successful in in almost all of the games that we know are the great right. games right now. Any game you right. talk about that's a great game right now, the reason why it's great is because it's multiplayer. It requires a high level of collaboration, cooperation. You can't just do it by yourself most of the time, you know, most of these things. Right. You have a, a thing and you have to learn. There's a ton of things, tons of strategy and whatever else to maybe two things. And this says it's all about memorization and targets, memory skills. It's like, I don't know what games those are, but those aren't the games that our kids are playing and that we, you know, are excited about. Well, okay. So, I mean, we're almost having the exact same discussion 
on a group that that you and I are both a part of. And, and it's talking about the difference between these garbage games. Yes. And and that that are being tagged as educational that are static and do focus on memorization yeah. and are pretty much terrible. I mean, it leads us and then, to that next article, Mike, about the right about the Pearson and those companies. They they're they're all about wanting those kind of what they consider to be called gamelets, which actually are just trash games. I mean, that's what right. they really are. They're not hundred percent. Yeah, they're not collaborative. They're not cooperative. They're very, they are static. And they're like the old, old school, horrible games that maybe we used to see, you know what I mean? On the old Apple IIe that wasn't that interactive, wasn't that interesting, but it was kind of a game element. So you played it anyway. Totally, totally. And and this article got linked in a Twitter conversation um, that, that Stephen Isaacs started uh, basically about how offensive some of these crappy games are that get thrown smashed into VR or whatever that have no business just like these games that get smashed into education and are basically terrible. Yes. Um, and then and then this article gets linked about, you know, some dude from McGraw Hill saying that small games are the way of the future. And of <laughs> course, he thinks that small games are the way of the future because those are the ones that they can make. Yes. This, I mean. I don't know who this guy thinks we are, but you know, he thinks that at least some people and certainly the people buying textbooks are idiots um, because you know, anyone who knows about games and learning knows that this is a business that, I mean, this is just as much a business play for them as it is about education. Of course he wants small games because he wants to put them on a DVD yes, so that, they he can you know glue them to the back of a textbook cover and then say hey look we are you know we're, we're hip we're gamified <laughs> yes right we know what the we know what the kids like the kids like games so here's some games for you to play they're they only take you five minutes and <laughs> here's here's all the great common core standards that they align to and here's the pages in our textbook that they reference. Yes. Play these games because they're awesome. Yeah. No. When in reality, they're crap. Oh, yeah. They're horrible. And your kids will hate them, too. I mean, it's not like well, we're just saying that they're bad. It's just they're just going to be not very good games. You know, they're not going right. to be engaging. They're not going to be cooperative, collaborative. And you can call it a game all you want. But really, it's just it's not really anything better than, you know, a worksheet. It's not anything better than a worksheet flat out. And I mean, he, I mean, he basically like calls out the, you know, the teacher gamings of the world and stuff like that. And says that, that, you know, it's hubris. He actually said that word, which is stupid, but I mean, he says it's hubris for these gaming companies to think that they are the center of the classroom. He's basically doing the stay in your lane of education, right? Yes. He's like, listen, you're we're the textbook company. You guys need to, you know, check yourself because we are the center of the classroom still. <laughs> it's basically That's what he's company. saying. I mean, yes. it's exactly what he's saying. So, I mean, you know, just talk about hubris, right? Yeah, just keep keep thinking that way. We'll see how soon yeah. <laughs> you're not that, there anymore. <laughs> I tell you, I mean, the the people on our side are a lot stronger than the people on their side, you know, in the ways that it matters. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think that I think that we'll win 
eventually. Um, so speaking of, you know, people on strong sides, I guess this is this last article that we came across this week is, is really, really, really interesting. It's about privacy. Yes. And I guess we, we've talked about this before. Yeah, we have. Um, and and about, you know, the big, you know, the Apples and the Facebooks and the Googles and, you know, h- how much they're integrated into to education and, you know, what data is is being generated off of, you know, our students, off of our kids information. Yes. Because they're using things like um, Chromebooks, you know, and Google Docs mm-hmm. and um and there's so many interesting quotes here. And, and I guess before I'm going to actually read these quotes, because I think that I have some opinions and, and they might be a little bit hot takey, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's a podcast. Um, right. But, you know, so there's a few of these quotes in this this New York Times article that was uh, linked to us by by a listener. And it's super interesting. So here's here's a quote. It says. Uh, quote, similarly, parents are concerned about the dispensation of financial awards, including scholarships that are influenced by data that children have provided in surveys. In some cases, the information doesn't include just things like grades and test scores, but also covers categories like race, religion, address, and whether they have impairments like HIV or depression. I mean, that is a huge bag of complications in and of itself, right? Yes. That's that's strange. I mean, that that's one of the things that they brought into the argument is scholarship applications that include other categories like race, religion, and other things, um, disabilities, or whatever it might be. Um, so, listen this this is complicated, but they have to, in some cases, check on your background especially i'll tell you the more prestigious the university the more important the scholarship the more they have to check on this and the point i wrote in the notes is is probably the most extreme of these points but but it's the first one that came to mind and that's the what if one of these idiot kids who you know threw up the nazi salute in that wisconsin high school picture had straight a's had 99% average and got a scholarship right to to Harvard to Yale and that got out because Yale didn't check things like you know the internet to see if and correlate them to this picture the 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 outcry that this would generate would be deafening absolutely monstrous they have to do some of this. I mean, obviously, I think it's ridiculous that they would, you know, base any sort of scholarship or or award or dispensation um, related to things like depression or HIV. I mean, um, race, religion, other than, you know, for for, um, you know, I don't know what else to say, affirmative action type sure type deals you know where they're trying to just level the playing field i mean that's why you know it's funny as a canadian um i've had this conversation recently with a few people because we don't talk about race in education as much as americans do like hardly at all in fact but you guys have data on all of that stuff like you know 
from experts and from information and data, you know, what the average outcome level percentage, whatever of black people versus white kids in a certain neighborhood is, and then how that correlates to their income level. We don't, I don't know we if we do that sort of thing. Well, it's super important here, here because of the, no, it is. of the you know just crazy History. amounts of differences uh, between, for example, just at a small scale funding in those schools that we've talked about before. You know how how different the funding is for a in a, in a richer. Yeah neighborhood because of property taxes that ends up funding the schools better which in turn turns out to be better schools better teachers better results and then the opposite happens in low-income neighborhoods where you're not going to have these big property tax bases and and so their education is is therefore lessened uh usually significantly their opportunities Mm -hmm. are lessened than too uh so generating that data well we have such a history though too micah as far as you know it's not a good history as far as yeah. uh, racial uh, divides is best way to yeah. be able to describe it. And and because of that, it's important to continue to go ahead and track that to say, hey, are we making strides towards uh, achievement gaps, for example? Are we actually d- doing anything significant? So those kind of things, those conversations, for example, about achievement gaps or funding, uh, it's just super important and really we want to believe that we've made a lot of strides and we have, but in a way we, we continue to go backwards sometimes, you know, it's like a, it totally is a pendulum of swing where all of a sudden you think, Hey, we're headed really in the right direction. And then all of a sudden it swings back exactly in the opposite direction. And you're like, gosh, we're back where we started and we're back fighting for, you know, just basic rights like education or whatever it might be. And the thing is, is that, I mean, so this article talks about a lot about like the data that's being gathered by different, yes. you know, places and, and things like the Facebook, um, you know, funded a, a personalized learning education tool called the summit. And they've been criticized um, for parents providing consent to share their children's data. Yes. But, I mean, how do you know if it's effective if you don't have the baseline information that you would typically need in the analysis of results yeah uh, but it is facebook you know, so people are paranoid <laughs> right <laughs> well, I, so it's and hard, that's why it's and that's why be, this is so complicated yeah, it's complicated too i mean it's hard to trust big corporations to do the right thing you know because all of our all of our data that we give to them willingly i'm not even talking yeah. about our students but all of us that we give to yeah, these yeah. companies willingly uh, is partially because we want to use their products for uh, free or for or whatever it might be, you know, because Facebook is free and so is Google and Gmail and Google Docs and all of those things are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But there is a cost to that. And so how much, how far do they go as far as the data mining and making, you know, kind of basically pigeonhole us into, you know, the the old is Google listening experiments that people do, you know? Uh, I, uh, I turned on my, I I turned off my Facebook ad blocker recently just for fun. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to see what targeted ads, what kind of, what what kind of ads I was being served and, and I've been paying attention to it for a few months. Um, probably since, um, you know, the early fall. Uh, and so, so in the early fall, 
mid fall, I, I bought a I bought a computer desk chair. Yeah, I needed a new chair. Uh, my my chair. You, you would know this because uh, it was a podcast issue. <laughs> my chair my chair was making noise <laughs> when I was sitting in it, so I had to actually have a second chair in my office that I would sit on just when I was recording the podcast. So now I sit in a nice chair again. Um, but I was researching what chair to buy. And uh, I found that all of my Facebook ads all of a sudden became um, gaming, you know, chair companies chairs and (laughs) and and which was fine for a while uh, until I, you know, bought one. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this now. But what was really funny was just last week. Okay. I was I was literally just having a conversation on someone's wall with a good friend of mine uh, who has a food box, like a blue apron, okay. the Canadian version of blue apron, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and she had like a free week or whatever. And I was asking, you know, if she liked it and what she thought about it and, and stuff like that. And, and she had a free weeks, you know, coupon code or whatever to offer. And so I, I took her up on that, but we were having a conversation and literally 10 minutes later, when I opened ad. Facebook up, uh, I was getting ads for all <laughs> of the food subscription boxes that were available everywhere. So then, and, yeah, it's it's freaky, and especially when and it was we, pulling yeah. it was pulling it off the conversation from like the wall. It wasn't even like a Google search. Mm-hmm. It was literally me just talking on her wall, like on her on her Facebook page with her. And it pulled all of that information. And I realize I get that this is happening. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get it. And I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. At least I'm being served ads about things I'm interested in instead of, you know, knitting, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Are you into knitting, Glenn? No, no not really. But no, no? It's, it's it's like an interesting question on uh, as far as our students are concerned and the apps that we end up using as far as in our classrooms and it's something right. that we all should be having a conversation about and really asking these big companies, like, what are you doing with this? And what can you guarantee us that you won't do with this, this information about our students? You know, like, uh, like I wrote down in our notes about Flipgrid and Microsoft. So Flipgrid, used, it's a good used, one. Flipgrid used to cost money, everybody. I don't right. know if you guys remember that. It was just a few months ago. Back in the day. Yep. And when they got bought by Microsoft, all of a sudden Flipgrid is free. The reason why they told us it was free is because they want to drive more customers to the Microsoft to office. suite of tools, yeah. you know, all of their awesome Microsoft things. So yeah. if you believe that story, that's great. You know, if that's the, you know, that's the story that they're selling us, but it just imagine what all of the things that Flipgrid collects on their little videos that they have. You're talking about facial recognition, students' voice, the things that students are interested and passionate about. Uh, all of that stuff can be data mined by a computer, you know, a series of computers and pulled out, extrapolated, and then they can target whatever they want to target, you know, towards our students, whether it be just products or if it's something, you know, if you want to go conspiracy, it could be something more malicious, you know what I mean? But it's like there is much, a big yeah. How much there do you is want a to big database there? somewhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how much do you want? I mean, basically, it's okay to ask them that question. It's like, will you guarantee that this information, you know, is not being sold? 
for example, to somebody else who wants all that to do something else, you know, and that something else could be anything. So it's a, it's a tough one because all of us want to use these products and we want them to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet you are giving something up. Listen, until the penalties for betraying our trust are higher than the rewards for doing it. Yes. You know, you're never going to get a promise from Google or Facebook or Apple or Microsoft that our data can be trusted with them. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And that's that's the reality of the situation. It has to be so prohibitive to them to screw with our information that it would ruin them as a company to like how many times has Facebook leaked our data now? Like I, I think I just saw something about pictures mm-hmm. being leaked just the other, just like yesterday or whatever. I was pretty sick the last couple of days, but um, you know, I just saw an article about Facebook leaking something about photos. Yes. And it's like, how many times should they be allowed to do this before they get in really big trouble? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I know, man. Hey, just another segment of on education. Lots of questions, no answers. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's it. (laughs) And and that's and that's exactly how we're going to wrap it up. So when we come back, we're going to we're going to talk about uh, ties. The conference Glenn just came back to and uh, wrap it all up. On education is brought to you by Classcraft. Classcraft is an amazing teaching resource created by teachers. Classcraft is dedicated to making school relevant and engaging to all of our students. Classcraft is proud to announce their Questathon quests created with shared storylines and custom illustrations to bring any subject to life. Every time a teacher downloads one of the free quests, Classcraft will add $1 to the Teachers Are Professionals fund, which will be used to fund teacher requests to PledgeSense.com. To learn more about Classcraft, simply go to Classcraft.com. All right, welcome back to the podcast. So, ties just wrapped up this week. Glenn, yes, it was amazing in in beautiful. I assume it's. Be, I've never been there, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is it beautiful? It is beautiful. I mean, it's a really nice, uh, easy to travel through city. Um, like very peaceful. Oh, that sounds very nice. peaceful. Like in other words, if you are just walking down the streets late at night. Not a big deal. You feel safe. It's very safe. Very safe. Very, very peaceful. Lots of great people. Um, and we were in downtown Minneapolis. It was fantastic. Awesome. Downtown Minneapolis, home of ties, featuring Glenn Irvin. <laughs> so you were everywhere. I, I was everywhere. It was pretty fun. It was uh, a fantastic ties. I think this is like the seventh time I've been there. And it never gets old. It's uh, just a for having you know a couple thousand people at it it feels very intimate uh very like you can pretty much talk to anybody it doesn't feel rush 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 um and uh, a couple thousand is still pretty good you know as far as attendance wise and they bring fantastic speakers and uh, uh other featured uh presenters um so they just do a good job of bringing the right people uh, right messages and, and, and it was just a great conference overall. So who, who were the, so the, the 
keynotes who who were yeah, they so the first day keynote speaker was Jamie Cossop or Jaime Cossop, as he called himself then too. And um, <laughs> Jamie is basically one of the top education gurus at Google. Uh, he's also has all kinds of other accolades that are just amazing things. He's uh, started a school for uh, minority students. It's a public school for minority students. Um, and mm-hmm. it is all about coding. And it's in the Phoenix area, where I think I believe he lives in the Phoenix area. And they've basically yes. broken all of the uh, school stereotypes. I want to call it, you know. So there's no grading. They uh, they basically have destroyed all of those things, and they have all these growing pains. But he's all excited about them. You know what I mean? So because mm-hmm. they've, they've mm-hmm. decided to kind of go in a completely opposite direction of of where most education systems are at in the United States. Um, they do have some growing pains, but he's he's like, this is great. This is how this is how you reconstruct the system, and then you make a model for other schools to be able to follow. So he's completely he's a big funder in that. So he's the creator of it. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he put his own money into it. Also, um, nice. yeah, and, and just a whole bunch of other awesome projects for uh, minority students, especially uh, Latino students. Uh, and he's just. Uh, a great mind, uh, a fantastic speaker, just hilarious, uh, very chilled out and relaxed. You know, he wore jeans up there, you know, so it's very interesting. You know, when you see someone right. go up with jeans and like just a casual sweatshirt kind of thing going, you're, you know, that the me- that's what I want to yeah, you know do. that the message that they're going to bring is going to be awesome. You know, it's, it's probably something really, really awesome and that they're chilled and relaxed. Right. You know, they're not going to be wearing it. Right. or whatever but he did show us some pictures of him presenting to uh president o- obama and and uh, michelle obama in at the white house and he said it was one of the first times that he was had a suit on and all of his friends freaked out not because he was in the white house but because he had a suit on <laughs> so no he's 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 definitely uh you know nationwide and worldwide speaker and and just a fantastic message cool yeah so and yeah, the other? second day, we had Kimberly Bryant, and she is the creator uh, or co-creator of Black Girls Code. And her message and her keynote was super powerful. I mean, it had just some very uh, powerful stories of uh, both her daughter and her friends and then uh, other girls uh, who are of the African-American community who have just done amazing things uh, with coding and received all kinds of accolades. And, and by coding, I mean, they've created apps uh, to help, for example, homeless people to find food shelters, uh, just all this kind of uh, just amazing kind of things uh, to connect people that, um, uh, that, for example, live in inner cities to good food. You know how that's hmm. a big problem, you know, as far as fresh food. Sure. Uh, I don't yeah, know what yeah. they call it, like uh, deserts, like city deserts or food, food deserts, desert. where the only thing that they can get is processed food, you know? And so they saw this these problems, and there's these kids. I mean, I'm talking about 11 and 12-year-old kids. They see these problems, and they actually invented, are inventing solutions to those uh, problems and putting them out there for people to be able to use. Um, so she told these That's powerful awesome. stories of that, powerful stories of kind of some tragedies that have happened in these uh, inner cities and then how they've um, pushed through these tragedies and then made wonderful things happen, you know, because even, even though these things kind of were there as barriers still pushed through the barriers and then were able to go in and succeed at the end. 
So great message by Kimberly Bryant also. And the the website blackgirlscode.com, I believe that's what it is, uh, is a fantastic. Let's put that yeah, in the show we'll notes. Make sure we put it in the show notes. And just a fantastic uh, uh, program uh, for our African-American students, but also any of our minority students to make sure that we get them involved in computer sciences. Oh, and you know what, Mike? You would have loved this. Of course. I changed my mind about something. I just thought of this right now. So okay. I heard Jamie Cossip talk and Kimberly Bryant and actually kind of the the tone of the entire conference was there was one part where basically we were talking about how there's all of these jobs just in Minnesota that are of uh, the computer science uh, field in the computer science field, basically of coding, right? And they're all unfilled. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how many graduates are graduating from those degree areas in Minnesota. And it was probably, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but it's something like this. We're probably graduating a hundred to 200 students that are in these fields. Right. Yeah. And there's like 15,000 jobs open and the, and the starting salary for those jobs in Minnesota, which a hundred thousand. So like, yeah. And in Minnesota, if you make a hundred thousand to start your career, you're you're loaded. You're you're, you're top you're of the world. Pretty well, let's just say that. Yeah, you're, you're going to live a very upper middle class kind of you know existence. It's going to be a good life, uh, a good start to your to your career. And anyway, they were talking about yeah. that's just you know the, that's just in Minnesota. And Jamie Casa brought up this little piece of paper. He just wrote it down. He goes, "I'm not criticizing any of you guys, but I'm just telling you that this is the truth." And he started naming out the, the statistics, and basically all of us looked around to each other. We don't, we don't have a solution for that yet. You know what I mean? We don't. We're not solving that problem right now. We don't have students going into these fields and inspiring them to go ahead and take these jobs. So these jobs are sitting vacant, or we're or we're letting uh, outside entities, whether they be from other states or from other countries, to take these jobs. You know what I mean? To other other people. One hundred. So. I changed my mind about that coding thing. So I've really talked to my school and talk and, and already started having conversations about, shouldn't we be starting, you know, at the, at the lower grade levels, kind of like what you were doing, which was inspiring students to go ahead and do just play around with coding and, and do it in a fun way where maybe you're creating a game and you're doing some things, you know, you're doing that kind of a design process. But then at the high school level, start giving some kids some pathways towards those fields so that by the time they graduate, they have already been exposed to uh, Python and different coding languages. And they're already excited about yep. it. And now they're ready to go ahead and, and do that uh, four-year or two-year, four-year program so that they can enter the the, the world uh, of work. And they have all of these opportunities. They can pick where they want to work you know, and get paid really, really well for it. So definitely inspired to go out and start doing something about this. You know, I won't be the person teaching them, those courses, but I think we need to start figuring out how are we going to make that pathway exist? Because that pathway is there right now. We need to get our kids into those fields. So, yeah. And imagine, imagine a, a United States of America where there were 200, because the numbers, we know what the numbers are. If you say it's 15,000 in, just in the you know, the, the Minnesota, you know, region, it's, it's, it's in the hundreds of thousands. Imagine, imagine an an American economy, an American, um, uh, jobs landscape 
where there were a quarter of a million to half a million more people earning a hundred thousand oh dollars or Imagine more a that? year. I mean, talk about your, I mean, everything tax bases, purchase power, <laughs> uh, donations to charities. I mean, all of that stuff is super important. We need to make those pathways exist, right. And inspire our kids, especially our minority students and our girls and say, Hey, you are, you could do any of this stuff and check out what, what you can do with it. And, and if they're inspired to do that, we need to give them a pathway towards being able to go in and, and be successful in those jobs. Um, cause they exist right now, man, this, I was a hundred thousand yeah. to start. That's crazy. <laughs> like if that doesn't make the case for like a, an idea about like trickle up kind of economics where you, you know, you grow people, you build people yes. up and they build up the economy. Nothing would. I mean, a quarter of a million to half a million more people who earn $100,000 or more a year doesn't just give those people money. It it, it builds up businesses and infrastructure yes. and it leads to new advancements in research and uh, things that we can't even possibly yeah, imagine. Yeah, yet. yet. Exactly. Yes. And... So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer Big to time, me. man. I, I was super pumped about it. And uh, then I, I was also like, okay, I get Mike's message. So from a few podcasts ago, <laughs> when I was arguing about against coding, I changed my mind. <laughs> and it was all because of Jamie oh, Cossip and Kimberly Bryant because they inspired me. I was like, okay, this is real. This is where we need to go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome to the... <laughs> to the other side. <laughs> other side i guess yeah um so it sounds like ties was yeah, a I mean, success check out the name i mean sarah thomas was there she just came in and out just to you know our friend for, from the podcast here um yeah sarah Love thomas sarah. was there man mandy hey, frelick was there she's super awesome uh, yep. uh teacher uh, educational leader and then also author uh of course angie we actually had her on the show just this last week um i i've in i'm the interviews are going to include Jesse Buto, who's a school educator of the year, um, and Jennifer Casa Todd. I interview her. She was at one of the uh, pre-conference keynote speakers, and she is she's from your area. Yes, she's from Ontario. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. she wrote a book called yep. Social Media. She's a teacher librarian in, in Ontario, Canada. And um, I was trying to remember who. I was my final interview and I can't think of it right now, but Oh yeah, I know who it is. Um, I had got a representative and a friend from, uh, seesaw, you know, the company seesaw. One of the biggest things I heard about mm-hmm. at this conference was that, uh, product. So I was like, okay, if everybody's talking about seesaw, we got to talk to someone that represents seesaw too. So I got one of my friends uh, who's also, I think the, like a seesaw. Yeah, no, no, she's a regional. She works for them now. She used to be a kindergarten teacher for oh, a okay, long time, okay. um, and she actually had come to my school as as an ambassador kind of thing to do trainings. Um, and then mm. now she actually works for them. So you'll be hearing her interview too. Yes. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play you some some interviews that Glenn had at Tithe. Uh, before we do that, I guess, um, we should make a minor uh, note to everyone that we're going to take next week off. So we record on Sundays. This is the 16th of December. So we're not going to record on the 23rd. We're going to take that week off. We're going to give us and the uh, the boys in uh, in Rochester the, the week 
to uh, to be with their families and enjoy Christmas holidays. We'll be back on recording on the 30th. And we basically have guests, Glenn, lined up right all the way to Ooh. FETC at this point. So, and then we'll be in, in beautiful Orlando in Ooh. January, the end of January. So um, wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy yes. Holidays and uh and all that stuff amazing thank you for listening and sharing the podcast yeah i'll tell you this has been a hell of a year it's it's been we were talking about it before we hit record but boy oh boy what a weird what a weird experience this has been uh (laughs) yeah yeah totally so uh thanks and and you know we're really looking forward to whatever's gonna happen in uh 2019 2019 For sure. So so stay tuned. Uh, when we come back, we will have back-to-back-to-back interviews uh, with folks that uh, Glenn spoke to at Ties. Stay tuned. On Education is brought to you by Audible. So I got to tell you about this book. So I'm reading a book called You Can't Spell America Without Me. It's written by Alec Baldwin. Um, and, it's, and it's in Trump's vernacular. Like, it's in his voice. Like it's written. It's like as if it was written by Donald Trump. Okay. And so I'm reading it and I'm thinking uh, every time I'm reading it, I, I I'm hearing Donald Trump's voice reading it to me. So I looked up on audible okay. if it was there and I'm telling you it's there. Oh so this is Alec Baldwin in the voice of Donald Trump reading the book. You can't spell America without me. You've got to listen to this. It is an absolute nightmare of a book it's hysterical so all that you guys have to do to listen to you can't spell america without me is go to audibletrial.com slash on education that's audibletrial.com slash on education and you will get a free audiobook download which you should totally use for you can't spell america without me by alec baldwin read to you by alec baldwin (laughs) in the voice of donald trump there's nothing better so go do that like right now all right welcome back everyone i'm sitting here at actually in a lobby at ties 18 with a beautiful fireplace and what looks like a sleigh in front of us and i'm sitting here with jesse buto from saint paul public schools jesse why don't you introduce yourself to our audience hi uh, my name is jesse buto and i'm a four or five grade teacher split classroom in saint paul schools i teach at uh, randolph heights elementary Perfect. And I just attended a session with Jesse. I wanted to make sure I brought... We've had you actually on the show. Yes. But yes, our yes. interview got corrupted at at uh, Schoology Next. And so the way that it recorded, you know, like uh, what you were just talking about, podcast, but we never got to publish that interview. So Jesse actually is a Schoology Educator of the Year, of this current year, and uh, an Apple Distinguished Educator yep, also. That's correct. And this specific session was super interesting to me because it was about podcasting, about your students podcasting and you have a split four or five uh, grade class and these students uh, are telling these amazing compelling stories through these podcasts so kind of give our audience a flavor about how would they go about doing that Jesse? sure so we base our podcasts on sort of an NPR NPR style uh, this American Life 
style podcast. So we call it This Fifth Grade Life. Nice. And um, really what it is, is it's about a chance for the kids to tell their family stories. So every family has a story that is really personal to them. It's that story that kind of gets told over and over at family gatherings and in their dinner tables. And you remember that one time and the kids all go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we want is these kids, the kids to have the opportunity to tell that story and to connect with their culture and connect with their family and connect with their history. And so this podcast uh, series, really, each kid is responsible for an episode and they, throughout the course of that episode, tell um, an important story that that is important to their family. What I found most compelling, I mean, two things. One is these kids is the diversity of the stories that they're telling are incredible. Everything from uh, and a family member surviving a chemotherapy or a certain type of cancer to World War II interviews of their grandparents. Yeah, and we've got we've got a lot of um, second generation um, uh, immigrants as well. So we've got a lot of immigration stories, people telling their parents or their grandparents stories of coming to the United States. Some of them are really um, fairly traumatic, running through the jungles in Laos yes. and things like that. So um, we yeah we run the gamut from really funny stories about. Uh, we got one where a couple toddlers steal an old pickup truck on a farm <laughs> to things about, you know, people running through the jungle afraid for their lives. So it yes. really runs a wide range of stories, and they're all really powerful and amazing. So a couple, the second part that I really loved is that you, as you guys are uh, iter- using the iteration process as far as putting together the podcast, they bring in they, and they... Uh, they basically pose a an idea to you, right? right. They pitch an idea to yep. you as a teacher, and you become kind of like the studio manager at a place, and and make sure that their pitch is strong enough to be able to go ahead and uh, you know tell a really good story. Yeah, I like to sh- kind of look at it as I'm really shifting roles. I'm I'm their teacher, but I'm also their editor. So they've got to pitch it to me. It's got to make sense. It's got to be a good story. And and there's times where I'll say, you know, this just isn't going to work. Let's let's keep digging. Let's find something else. Um, and sometimes it's a matter of they're bringing me um, what they think is finished, and I'm like. That's great, but there's more things that we can do here. There's more adding, editing or adding or, you know, I'm hearing you talking to, or the, your subject talking too much. Let's pull, pull that back and let's have you talk more. It's your job to tell that story, not the person you're interviewing. And, and it's so, I mean, your process, and we'll make sure we uh, give their information to be able to access your website so mm-hmm. that people can go ahead and check out the episodes. But the process by which you're going through is so powerful. I think it's basically a combination of, the writing process, but then also doing it in a creative format through this podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really base it on what the pros do. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be, um, my brother makes podcasts for a living for American public media. So he and a couple other people have kind of walked me through the process so that I understand the process and which is good because I would have had things backwards. I would have done things in, in the wrong order and our podcast would not be as good. So I was able to take their process, break it down into kid friendly steps and add graphic organizers, add um, sort of checks for quality and those formative assessments and then really turn it into a process that the kids can follow through. So one of the most powerful things that you said, I think in the session was was at the end when you said, you know, their final product, we're going to, we all celebrate the final part. We mm-hmm. listen to it together and they've already been, you know, critiqued and have, you know, uh, gotten feedback on it. And now by the end, when they produce this and show it off to the class, it's about the celebration. It is. And, and it's about us listening to them together and celebrating each person's story. We put it, you know, we call it a season. We've got three seasons so far. We're going to be doing season four this year. Um, each kid gets an episode. So, you know, your season 
for episode five. And um, we post them on our website. We put them out on Twitter. We really make it a production that the kids can feel proud of. That you know what? You are a podcast maker. You're not just doing this project for me. It's it's about, you know, the writing process doesn't necessarily have, the final product doesn't have to be writing. Um, The writing process is the creation process. And so we go through that process of gathering ideas and making a plan and drafting and then revising and then finally publishing. And, but that publishing, just because it's a writing project, that publishing does not have to be written. It can be spoken. And in this case, they've written, they've written a script and they will narrate that script and they've spliced in pieces from their grandmother's story. Um, but that 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 publishing piece is um is a is a totally different thing and, yeah. and that's a really powerful it's awesome so if our audience members want to get a hold of you or uh, follow yeah. you on twitter what is it yeah so my twitter handle is at mr buto that's m-r-b-u-e-t-o-w and then i also have one for my class which is where i post most of the final episodes so if nice. you're looking for it this spring um we go under the hashtag this fifth grade life and then my uh, class twitter handle is at r-h-s dragon 5b Okay, and um, the website, is it available for anybody to go ahead and yeah, visit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you can search, that? um, that's on our, uh, so if you go to Randolph Heights, uh, spps.randolphheights.org, um, that's our school website. You can find me on there. I'm under the fifth grade tab. And right on our webpage is um, is the this fifth grade life page. And in there yeah. is each season. Our, our goal is eventually to try to get ourselves into iTunes. We just haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll link it in the show notes for so because it's such powerful examples and all kinds of different things. Just the yeah. two that you showed us today. I was like, oh, this is so awesome and great things to go ahead and share. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jesse. Thank you, Glenn. So welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Jennifer Casatad, a keynote speaker here at the Ties Conference uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, the the presentations actually, or the main part of the Ties Conference actually begins tomorrow. Um, but Jennifer, can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. My name is Jennifer Casatod, and I am a teacher librarian in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. And for the record, it is warmer there <laughs> than it is here in Minneapolis. That's crazy. A great. It is. It's a, well. You are you are more north here, um, but I've had just a great day. Um, I am so. In addition to being a full time teacher librarian, I'm also the author of the book Social Media, and I do lots of other things. I'm a mentor teacher for the On Ed Student Chat. Which which is an Ontario student-led chat. Very cool. Um, where students are using social media to connect and learn. I love it. Um, I'm a GEG Ontario leader, so um, Google Educator Group Ontario leader with some fabulous team members. Um, and we just organized I, with a, a great team the first DigiSit Institute in Ontario. So that's keep- fantastic. So I was looking at the title or or some descriptions of your book and there's a, a quote there that says we must educate empower and inspire our students to use social media and basically to learn and share our learning so is that the premise of the book? So absolutely. The yeah. premises of, of the book really is rooted in the idea of digital leadership, which George Kuros actually defines as using the vast reach of technology and social media to improve the lives, well-being, circumstances of others. Yes. So the book really is about um, showcasing and celebrating students who are using social media to learn and share learning, but also to empower others and celebrate others um, and to, to promote causes that are important to them. 
as well as to be a more positive influence on others. Um, each of the chapters in the book has a student vignette at the end. So taking, I didn't want to appropriate the voices of students. They're actual voices of students. Yes. And I highlight and showcase kids who are leveraging social media for good. That is fantastic. So we have listeners that are parents and that are obviously we have a lot of educators that listen to the podcast. And I would say a large majority of them are intimidated by social media in general, either their own use of it, but specifically our students' use of it or our own children's use of it. And so what kind of advice do you have for, for parents and teachers about how to switch that or turn that around and actually be able to use it for, for good. So um, there's a great quote by William Dwyer, and he says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Um, and there have been so many experiences in, in my personal and professional life that have really shown me that we need to interrupt the current trajectory. Um, kids only look at social media for entertainment. They look at it as a place to, you know, just put a comment without thinking of purpose or audience. And the only way I think we will change that is if we start to uh, allow them to look, use these tools, um, in school. And, and I know that even me as a mom and, and, you know, I worked in a district role supporting teachers with technology when it even just the thought of social media with my own children caused fear in me. Um, and so, and, and I get that. Um, but it becomes a very different place when you start to follow, um, people who inspire you, people who are smarter than you, um, organizations that are promoting really amazing causes when your child finds an affinity space, you know? Um, and so, so again, it really is about changing the way you look at things. Um, these are very powerful computers kids have in their pockets. We are able to connect across the world. Um, you know, there's an initiative right now I'm involved in with my students and, and we we're connected with, with kids in Norway and Japan and Czechoslovakia. You can't, you can't do that without the use of some of these tools. And so that's why I think it's it's our moral imperative to show show kids that they could use this differently. Awesome. So if our audience members want to, we're going to make sure we give them a link to your book uh, to be able to check it out. And then if they want to learn more about your work or anything that you're doing, where should they go to be able to find out more? Okay. Well, if you're at Ties, yes. if you happen to be here, I, there is, uh, there are some books for sale here. Otherwise, I blog regularly at jcasatod.com and there's a contact form there. All, if you're, if you can't afford the book right now, cause it's Christmas time, um, I do have a bunch of free resources at socialledia.org. Nice. Um, and you're welcome to have a look at what's there. Um, and, and reach out to me at Twitter, on Twitter at jcasatod. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, I am super pumped here to be with Angela Gatke from Seesaw. Angela, why don't you go to introduce yourself to our audience? Hey, everyone. I'm Angela. I lead the community team at Seesaw. And I came to Seesaw from... The classroom, actually. I was a kindergarten teacher for 15 years, loved using Seesaw, and I wanted to share it with all the teachers I could. So here I am at Seesaw spreading the word. Yeah, so one of the things that I've noticed is I try to kind of dig in the trends that are happening at conferences or the things that are people are talking about. 
And so many people are talking about your product, Seesaw. I know, right? And it, I believe it's because it's an amazing, easy-to-use product. But can you tell, maybe we have audience members that aren't aware of the product and what it actually does. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what Seesaw is. Yeah, so Seesaw is a great student engagement platform. We kind of started as a digital portfolio, and we still have awesome components of that. But we have so many creative tools for students to really use and choose how they like to share their learning with larger audiences, whether that be their families, maybe it's just the teacher in their class that they're sharing their thinking with. But we have great creative tools that really allow them to you know, do things like record their voice or take a photo of something that they're doing in, in class and then explain their thinking. So it's also a great tool for teachers to really gain insight to what their students are thinking because we always want to know that, right? Yes. We wish we could have those one-on-one conversations with all of our students every day in the classroom. And I think Seesaw gives us kind of this edge of being able to do that and, and share the, all the learning that happens in all the other things that students are doing, whether they're using hands-on stuff or they're using other apps and digital tools, it can go to Seesaw and be shared. So I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but three or four or five years ago, I came to a pre-conference workshop that you actually hosted. And I thought the most amazing part of this was that you only had like an iPad for like this kindergarten classroom yeah. or, or two, yep. something yep. like that. Yep. Very limited amount. Yep. And then so you had to share devices. So you were still using this product in a super high level way, basically yeah. by using these stations. Totally. And then being able to go ahead and get those intimate moments with students of that, see how well they're learning things that you were sharing those moments with us. And that's when I knew, I was like, oh, okay, this is a very, very powerful learning tool. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the things that caught me right away with Seesaw was the fact that I didn't have one-to-one devices. I had, I think, five iPads that were shared with, you know, 24 kindergartners, and I was working with kindergartners. And I think what's great about Seesaw, no matter what level of students you're working with, there's so the, the tools in Seesaw, um, just the simple thing, like I mentioned before, the photo, and being able to, with one tap of a button, record your voice, um, whether you're using Chromebooks or iPads or Kindles, that's huge. Yes. And, you know, there's so many more layers that build onto that in Seesaw, but I think that was, for me, just a great way to bridge some of those gaps that exist in barriers that exist for students uh, with different technologies or even just their abilities. You know, I was working with pre-readers and pre-writers, and I thought, wow, this is huge for them. And I think also students in the upper elementary, you know, there's some tools that they're using all the time, but they're missing some of those creative components that are available in Seesaw. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'll get is another impressive part about Seesaw is that parent connection. Yeah. And I, I mean, that really caught me also is that your parents instantaneously with the use of the app or whatever they were actually on could see what was happening during the school day. And it's such a critical component to making sure that they have that school connection. And so you have your parents, maybe even your grandparents that are connecting to these students' accounts and being able to watch their learning and seeing what they're actually producing in school. Well, and I think as teachers, we're always trying to find, you know, we want that connection, right? That's, I think, in every teacher's philosophy, we really want to connect with with the home um, home parent connection and really make that relationship solid and it's hard work though you know it's like you think back like oh my gosh we're sending emails we're typing newsletters for an hour we're doing all these things to connect and now I can do that super easily and it's coming from their kid you know it's the student adding it which is really cool and I think the one thing just to highlight too is we have so many amazing teachers that are using CESA our community is phenomenal and we really wanted to give 
space for that collaboration inside yes. of Seesaw. So we actually have a feature called the Activity Library where teachers that are already using Seesaw can actually yeah. share what they're doing and the successes that they're having, and you can actually share some of those activities with your students, which Very is really nice. cool. Yeah, so you are actually learning from this community right. of totally. learners. Right, exactly. totally, totally, exactly. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about Seesaw, what should they do? So just go to our website, web.seesaw.me, and you can get started there. We have a great help center that's at help.seesaw.me, and you'll also find um, webinars that are free, live webinars that you can take, you know, at home in your PJs at any time. <laughs> and, of course, we're on Twitter at Seesaw, on Instagram, Seesaw Learning, and we have awesome Seesaw teachers groups on Facebook. So I can awesome. go on and on. Our yes. community's just all over. Okay, we'll make sure we link up some of those I know, that'd be great. <laughs> and, and do that. Thank you so much for being with us today, Angela. Love it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn, and my co-host is Glenn Irvin. Do you want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. Our engineers are Jake and Justin at Podcast Production Team. Check out their website at podcastproductionteam.com. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost, and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.